Blog Talk Radio. I'm 
memories that song brings back. Welcome to a special edition of the Indie Cafe on the Red Velvet Media Network. And today we have Mark Proct, who is here. Um, we're going to be talking about, and also Spencer Drate, um, uh, we are going to be talking about his book, Home Today, Gone Tomorrow, which is more than just photos. Um, if anyone would like to listen to this show, you may tune in um, live. You may listen to it in the chat room, and it will be available afterwards on iTunes and also on Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio On Demand under the Indie Cafe. And uh, Mark has a really amazing background. Um, he's been involved in a lot of different careers. Stevie Ray Vaughan, The Fabulous Thunderbirds, which I know Spencer worked on quite a few of the albums, and he'll be talking about that. The Archangels, which that was what was opened up with, and uh, fond memories of seeing them at the Hollywood Bowl. Storyville, Vallejo, and others. Um, He will talk a little bit about his journey and how we got the name of the book, Home Today, Gone Tomorrow. We're going to be ending with a really great song. Let me bring everyone in to the studio and also what I wanted to say also was if you would like to listen to the show later it will be a podcast as I said earlier and if you would like to call in the number is 347-677-1036 so let me check first is Spencer Spence you there yeah hi Ollie yep rock and roll okay cool and Mark you're there too Mark, I'm here that was you had to send me that song right I mean you knew I was going to choose that song to open up with. Uh, that song by the, was just one of my favorite songs during that time, and I remember fondly listening to that song at the Hollywood Bowl that one night that um, I went there. That's awesome. But, um, Spencer, um, I know that you worked a lot with Mark in regards to album covers and fabulous Thunderbirds and stuff, but we're, we want to talk about the Home Today, Gone Tomorrow book that you have out too as well, Mark. So why don't we just kick it off with first you giving out your website for the book. Yeah. If you, uh, oh, if you go to w- yeah. if you um, go to www.hometodaygonetomorrow.net, that's the, uh, that's the website for the book. Mm-hmm. And you can get quite a bit of information there. You can uh, you can hit, click on the link and uh, and buy the book. And uh, I think uh, it brings back some great memories. It's a it kind of encapsulates my pictures. forty years in the business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was trying to get Preston to call in today. Um, I I I was trying to. We were actually trying to reach him earlier, but um, I haven't been successful on that. But anyhow, so. I know because he's in a lot of photos in that book. Preston oh, Hubbard. that would have been a great surprise. Yeah, well, Preston and I go way back, you know. Yeah, so, I couldn't reach uh, him today on the phone, but yeah. So, Spencer, you there? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I met Mark. Uh, he came into my office uh, when she drew, uh, I had a studio downtown, and um, and then Tough Enough came into my life, which ended up being an iconic album. And by the way, everybody out there, uh, we have just been honored list. We're getting a call from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that we're getting your, Judith and I are getting certificates that we're in the awesome. permanent collection with our work. And one of the covers is the Tough Enough album <clears throat> cover. And that's great. Well, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, and the, and the story with it is a really funny story. I told Mark, I don't know if you know it, Holly, but when I was doing the cover, CBS International wanted a picture of the group, and Jimmy Vaughn had a picture of uh, Dan Youngblood, this Native American artist who did an incredible sculpted piece in a square form. And um, Jimmy calls me up. It's a great story. Jimmy calls me up before he goes into the CBS meeting. He says, Spencer, what should I tell them about the cover? And I said, you know, you got that picture there, that Dan Youngblood that I saw? Yeah. I said, well, does that, first of all, I asked a very important question. Does that express your music? That's very important. And he said, yes. And I said, well, I want you to go into the meeting and tell them that's the cover. <laughs> and CBS wanted to do a picture of the group because it was the first album on CBS International. And I'll tell you, this artwork was, is beautiful if you see the cover. And so what happened was I got a call from CBS, and I said, Spencer, you're going to get fired. You told them, didn't even ask them. You told them that's the cover. and four, But four days later, that was the cover. The end of the story was a great one. It was the cover of the album. And uh, it's an iconic cover, actually, of, of a lot of the mm-hmm. covers that we've done. So that's a, it's, it's kind of a very move. But that album, you know, the, the group turned out to be iconic. And, um, and I saw a great... By the way, Mark, that, that when you invited me down to the Beacon Theater, I saw Jimmy Vaughn, uh, Holly... Jimmy Vaughn jamming with Joe Walsh. Can you imagine this on the stage? That's right. awesome. That was night. pretty amazing. So that's my fab Thunderbird story, you know. But you, you yeah, have to, no, to throw, absolutely. Just to throw one more thing to the mix, you have to realize that it was a band that nobody thought would sell a single record. <laughs> it was uh, a blues band yeah. that blues bands didn't get played on the radio. And ultimately, at the end of the day, there were two top ten uh Top ten singles and two top ten MTV video, MTV videos, and of course a couple of million uh, albums later, everybody at CBS Records were patting themselves on the back. But like Spencer said, we took a lot of chances and we did things quite a bit differently. But that that album cover was iconic, and it's it's just a classic album cover now. Yeah, yeah, it is. And you know, I wanted to bring up on your book, Home Today, Gone Tomorrow, all the rare behind-the-scenes candid moments that are captured in the book. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about how that book um, started and all the different people that are in it and how you um, came up with the idea of putting all these pictures, obviously, into print on in a book. I want to hear the story behind that. That sounds really oh, cool. Sh- yeah, for sure. I mean, it started, of course, 40 years ago, and I, I was a New Yorker myself that moved to Austin, Texas in 1975 and started working in the uh, in the music business here in Austin, well before it was kind of a, the live music capital of the world, and not very many people knew about Austin. It was kind of right in the middle of the country, uh, what they call the redneck country or the cosmic cowboy scene, and I was actually a sound engineer when I first started, and I went to work for Willie Nelson when I was 20 years old, and oh, wow. uh, which was either right at the early part of his career. He was just starting mm-hmm. to become a national figure. But I always carried a camera with me. I, it was not, I was not a photographer. 
not at all by trade at all. It just was that when I grew up um, and I started with a Kodak Instamatic, the old square camera, and I just, uh, at certain times, I'd pull the camera out and take pictures, and I just captured a lot of interesting uh, moments. And uh, as it progressed, I later went to work for another Texas country band called Asleep at the Wheel, and uh, and then all, and then on to Jerry Jeff Walker. And uh, again, I was a sound engineer through the 70s and into the 80s until I went to work for the Fabulous Thunderbirds, and I kind of shifted gears and became a tour manager and then ultimately the uh, fabulous Thunderbirds manager. But all along, I kept on taking pictures, and I just kept on filling books, um, photo albums and uh, shoeboxes of, of photos. And back in pre-digital days, you had to go get them developed, and they were physically pictures oh, yeah. that you'd hold, right? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people don't, re- don't realize that. And uh, I just accumulated, oh, dozens of photo albums. And, uh, of course, I was in unique places on the tour bus, on the airplane, in the airport, in the hotel, in the studio. And um, I just kept on capturing all these moments and uh, the books kept on filling. And 40 years later and many bands later, um, I just was sitting around with friends and showing them some pictures and uh, two or three of them kept, they kept on kept on coming up. You need to release a book. You need to put these out and let people see them. Mm-hmm. And that's how the idea came about. That's I awesome. mean, you've got some great those images. Great you know, pictures. Those, yeah. Yeah, there, there, there's Wait a, a great, uh, you know, it's interesting. You have, like, in there, like, a Stevie Ray Vaughan at the Royal Albert Hall, which I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting, you know? Or, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different places that people had never seen these people before. Yeah. And I was left fortunate enough. I, well, one of my, I mean, some great experiences. I spent the last year of 1990 with both Jimmy Vaughn and Stevie Ray Vaughn making family style. And I was the only person that had a camera. I was the only person that was allowed in the studio because it was only Nile Rogers, the producer, Jimmy Stevie, the rhythm section, and myself, and uh, the guitar kick, Renee Martinez. So, so, so fortunately, I documented um, that, like I said, that eight or nine months in the studio because no one could foresee that, of course, what was going to happen in August and the tragedy of losing Stevie Ray Vaughan. But uh, I was so thankful to have all those great pictures. Right. Um, they are amazing pictures, too. There are some images there that are just like you can tell there's a story behind them. Um and, and I'd love to hear some of the stories you have that you want to oh, yeah. share um, with us about some of the images. Um, do you have any images in particular that you have a story that goes along with it that you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, absolutely. Now, every picture in that book has a story, which is what's good about yeah. it. Somebody has said to me, they said, you know, you weren't there on assignment. You weren't there because the magazine said, go take some pictures. You were there because that was your life. You were living every one of those moments at that time. And uh, I'll start with one of the first ones in the book. When I was working for Willie Nelson, we we had we did a show at um, at Huntsville Prison, and it wasn't in like people say, "Oh, that was the rodeo there," because that's what it's kind of well known what it's known for. I said, "No, mm-hmm. that was at the death row. That was at the death row um, prison block oh, wow. out in the yard there." And I, like I said, I had only been in Texas for barely a year at that point. Mm-hmm. and uh, we're in the middle of Huntsville Prison, and Willie's up on stage, and someone threw him a uh, a prison shirt, and he threw it, he put it on, and it's a great oh, shot wow. of Willie playing on that yeah. kind of a, a little flatbed truck, and uh, mm-hmm. um, 
with him in the band. And that's a very early shot of, like I said, Willie Nelson in 1975 or so. Um, and then, um, oh, it goes on. Uh, there's some, I captured some great shots. The, uh, the story behind Tough Enough of making the album before, I, while we were recording Tough Enough with Dave Edmonds in London, there's a group, uh, a group of pictures there of that album. And it was just such a unique experience because we went over to London to, uh, to, to record that album and, um, nobody knew what the outcome was going to be. So we were all just very relaxed and just thinking, well, it's going to be another fabulous Thunderbirds record and everything will just kind of move on as is. But, um, it turned out to be just like, like we said before, such a classic and iconic album. So it was, uh, I mean, there are, I think a thousand stories behind those pictures though. Mm-hmm. Well, you got, you got like a picture of Joe Ely there, which I love Joe Ely. You know what I mean? You've got like these other musicians that people like Delbert McClinton, for instance. Right. And, well, a good, another, another story there kind of is I also produced for about oh eight years in Austin, Texas, um, a lot of people are familiar with Austin City Limits Music Festival, but prior to that, in the 80s, myself and another event individual, we produced a yearly event called the T-Bird River Fest. And the, um, oh, wow. and the story behind the wow. yeah, and the story behind it was to have our friends play, people that we knew who were friends with the Thunderbirds. And over the years, as you said, Delbert McClinton and Joe Ely, Stevie Ray played, Carlos Santana, Bunny Ray. Wow. Bonnie um, Raitt, right, yeah. Yeah, there's some great shots of, of those shows. You know, they're all kind of mixed up. In fact, Joe Walsh was a guest one year. He, he just loved the T-Birds, and he was hanging out here in Austin for quite a while. Um, but those events were just, you know, very, very unique, and everybody would kind of get up and play with, you know, sit in with each other at the end of the night. Um, Nick Lowe was a big part of that for a couple of years. Oh, that's great. And, yeah. The interesting thing was we never charged more. I think the average price was about six or seven dollars for that show. Yeah, and wow. left about that today. And you know, it's funny. You know how it's funny, isn't it, Spencer? Like how much people used to pay to go to a show then, I, and I now thinking, it's like I was thinking about it. Bon Jovi is like seven hundred fifty dollars. So <laughs> <laughs> I dug yeah, up some of my old tickets. Of, and, and, you know, five or six dollars was not unusual back in the day. That's that's when it's good that you're friends with the band or you know someone and you get on the list and you go. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm I'm willing to pay to go to a show. I really am. But it's even more fun when you're invited or involved in some way in the production of a show. Um, tell me. Um, I want to ask you, Mark, with the people that you've worked with and, and and most of the different people that you've met over the time that you have done so far with so many different musicians, do you have any particular people that you really wanted to meet and then you finally met them and it was just like there was a story behind it? Well, for sure, Eric Clapton. Because yeah. and there's a great story there because it started he was a he was a big fan of the fabulous Thunderbirds and this is mm-hmm. a this is a great story story um in um when we were recording tough enough and the t-birds were we were in london it was just the four band members and myself um we were going into the first weekend and i get a call from eric's previous manager and he says look um are you are you 
and the band around. I said, yeah, we have the night off. He says, well, I'm going to send a car out. Two cars could come get you. And Eric would like you to come to his house for his 40th birthday party. And at that point, I had never met Eric because I had just been, I had just, oh, I'd been working for the band for a few years and we hadn't done any shows or been, been around him at all. And uh, sure enough, a couple of cars come and pick us up and take us out to his country manor outside of London. And we were, I was privileged enough to be part of his 40th birthday party with the likes of Ringo Starr and Barbara Bach and a host of others. And I, you know, I was pretty young still at the time. So I was well impressed with, um, the, the, even the thought that I would be at Eric Clapton's house and, um, of course, through the years. What a mind blower, right? I know. It really was. You know, <laughs> I was standing there going, what, what, am I really here? <laughs> and he was mm-hmm. just so gracious. He was, he, he still is one of the most He's the wonderful, guy. nicest person I've ever met. And any time I've ever seen him, he always stops and comes up and asks how I'm doing and how have you been. He, You know, like we've known each other forever. I'm just, you know, such a nice guy. And over the years, I had the the um, oh the good experience to go back to London and do three different um, segments of his Royal Albert Hall shows. One uh, oh, twice wow. with Jimmy Vaughn uh, and great. once with the Archangels. And mm-hmm. uh, so we, you know, spent a, a significant amount of time. Uh, we toured with Eric, and got to, I got to know him well enough that I, you know, that I I, I never thought I'd ever, to be honest. Um, you know, meeting him was uh, was was a great was a great uh, experience. You know, I I oh, got to bring imagine. up something. I, I read an article yeah. in TV Guide uh, uh, interview with Eric Clapton. It was years ago when we were doing the T Birds. And you know what he said? They asked him his favorite musician, and you know what he said? Jimmy Vaughn. I never forgot that, Mark. Right. That's great. Right. Ollie, Ollie, you know. Yeah. That's yeah. really awesome. Always, it is. I mean, he's always treated all of us so well out on the road and um and he was a big part you know after after stevie passed away jimmy kind of had no idea really what he was going to do so you know of course the first couple of years it was um unsure he wasn't ready to go into the studio and eric you know clapton jumped in and that's where he first invited jimmy to come play on the blues nights at the royal albert hall and that was really the first active Oh, re-entry Jimmy Vaughn took back into the music world at that time, and Eric really took it upon himself to help Jimmy kind of get you know get reintroduced to back into playing and and comfortable again. And so right. it, it was a it was a very nice gesture on Eric's part. That's incredible. That's wow. really great. Hey, Mark, are you thinking that you have other photos and that maybe you're you might do another book at all? I do have quite a bit of other, uh, you know, other pictures. Um, I had a really, it was one of the toughest jobs was to sit down and decide which ones should be in the book, which ones weren't. And I I left out quite a few because I was just, I had to, um, you know, sit down and say, this is how many, approximately how many pages I want it to be. And of course, you want the pictures to be as big as you can to, uh, I, I tried to, you know, come up with a good mixture of, of, of making the book uh, interesting, covering all 40 years, but certainly there are additional pictures. Um, the the other question that's kind of come up as I've gone along is people have said, you really need to tell the stories behind those pictures. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think we have enough time, but the like the actual tough enough story is a book in itself. 
the making of Family Style with Jimmy Vaughn and Stevie Ray Vaughn is another story, how it got made and what it took to get that record done. Um, the formation of the Archangels is a great story. So um, it might be when I went out and started this book, I didn't think I was going to actually have any text at all. And as, as uh, time went by, I realized I needed to tell a story. I needed to explain to people uh, how I got to Texas and then why Willie Nelson's in the beginning and why Jimmy Vaughn and Steve Ray Vaughn are in the middle and the band called Vallejo at the end. So um, I put an adequate amount of text in there, but um, there are days I go back and wish that I would have told more stories. And hopefully I'll do that in the future. Well, you know you what? Have it's time interesting. Archangel yeah. story you tell me about where the group has incredible, uh, what do you call it? You know, they're an incredible group, and they come out with this dynamic album, and then they're kind of like cut off, right? You were telling me their their career was. Kind I of know, short. I know, I know a little bit of the story. So let's hear it from you. Wait, which <laughs> say that? Which band? Well, remember the story about Archangel? The Archangel. Oh, the Archangel. Like, yeah. Should have evolved yeah. more. They should have evolved yeah. more. They're incredible. Well, then it would cut short. What was the reasoning? You know what I'm saying? Well, there, 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 I, I kind of, if, if you want, we can kind of step back in because like, there's an interesting story here. Um, yeah. Again, after Stevie died, it was every, there was a lot of confusion going on, and nobody knew exactly what they were going to do. Jimmy Vaughn kind of, you know, went, went, stayed away, stayed in. In the meantime, there was a Dole, there was Dole Bram Hall II, and I was managing Dole, and Dole had just signed a development deal with Geffen Records, and there were Double Trouble, Stevie's uh, rhythm section of Tommy Shannon and Chris Layton, and Charlie Sexton, who we all knew were friends with, had been had, was raised in Austin, but moved out to Los Angeles when I was really young. He signed a deal with MCA Records, and the deal kind of went uh, a little bit sideways. At some point, as Charlie started to grow up, he just didn't have a specific and a good direction, so he came back to Austin right about 1989 or 90, right around there. And, um, and there, was a, there was a rehearsal a rehearsal room in Austin called the Austin Rehearsal Complex, or the ARC. And at the time, Charlie Sexton had a studio there where he was working on demos. Uh, Dole was rehearsing with Tommy Shannon playing bass for his demos for Geffen Records. And uh, Chris Layton was just hanging out because everybody was there. And... Um, they were playing together every, uh, you know, every oh, couple of times a week. They'd all just kind of end up in the same room and just be jamming around. And right adjacent to this rehearsal room was an, a venue called the Austin Opera House. And one day I went up to the Austin, I was at the Opera House, and the owner was a good friend of mine. And he had Robert Cray coming a show in a couple of weeks or so. Love I love Robert. Yeah, Great. he's another yeah. good one. Another good one. And, uh, yeah. And, um... I said, is, is you have a support act? And he said, no, we don't. I said, well, hold on a second. So I ran back down to the complex, to the rehearsal complex, and the four guys were standing there. And I said, you guys want to do a gig together? They said, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, Robert Cray's going to play the opera house, and there's, there's an opportunity to do, you know, to play a set. And they said, well, how long? I said, well, you know, 30 minutes, probably 40 minutes. And they kind of looked at each other and they said, oh, well, we could probably put that together. And then they said, well, what should we call ourselves? And at this point, I'll give Chris Layton his credit due, is that he looked up at the sign at the Austin <laughs> Rehearsal Complex, and he said, how about the Archangels? <laughs> and yeah. I ran back up the hill to the opera house, 
and uh, Tim O'Connor, who was the owner, I said, Tim, I got a band for you. What do you think about, <laughs> you know, Charlie Sexton, Dole Bramhall, and Chris Layton and Tommy Shannon, Double Trouble? And he said, you got it. Let's do it. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, they did their set with, um, with opening for Robert, and he loved them. But my phone lit up the next day, and it was <laughs> like, who is the super group? Is this a real band? And, uh, you know, it kind of... It, it kind of happened overnight, and uh, it did. our A and R. Yeah, more technically speaking, our A and R rep at the time was uh, from Geffen was Gary Gersh, and I called Gary and I told him what happened, and he, everybody was excited, and it's kind of the stars aligned because Charlie Sexton was signed to MCA Records, and MCA Universal had just bought Geffen Records, so they were able to kind of take the whole thing and swing it into one record deal, and ultimately. Uh, little Steven was brought in to produce the album, and the first Archangels record was made. Um, yep. Unfortunately, you had two 21-year-old co-frontmen in Charlie Six and Doyle Bramhall who just, you know, egos were just tough at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, control and direction and things that typically happen in a band because the band was catapulting. I mean, in a short period of time from the time that record came out, Everybody at Geffen Records just loved that band. And uh, in a short period of time, we were on Letterman and um, Leno and Conan. I mean, it was just, things were just, you know, going 100 miles an hour. But the two youngsters, as I called them back then, um, just had a hard time. (laughs) They just had a problem handling each other. And Mm -hmm. Charlie, I guess I'd call it more stable. But everybody, you know, people know this. Doyle fell into drugs. And the drugs overcame him. And it, you know, people blame and think it was Doyle's drug problem. Well, probably if you look at it, yes, it was the drugs, but it was really the relationship between Charlie and Doyle that broke the band up. So um, after a short lived, I'd say we went maybe two and a half years or so, um, the band came to a, you know, to a grinding halt and one of the most talented groups. And I don't know where it would have gone to today if they could have stayed together, but I, I personally believe it would have been hugely successful. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, great story. Absolutely. Great story. Yeah. They had a very unique sound, and um, like the Black Crows do, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, I can, can, I can actually... That's a perfect comparison. You know what I mean? I, 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 that's how I feel about it, Yeah. Because, I mean, you see them, they came out of nowhere, and then now Chris is doing his own stuff, and, you know, yes. it's different. But it's not And in spite the of their, they were at least, uh, they, their relationship is crazy, too. But in spite of that, somehow mm-hmm. they were able to get through so many years of keeping the band together, allowing the momentum to, you know, to grow. And the Black Crows did some great things. One of my favorite bands. And, uh, yep. but, uh, but a volatile band. And, um, going back to the Archangels, I tried so hard to reach out to Doyle and just, you know, grab him and say, please, let this at least, you know, let's get our feet on the ground. Let's get this established. There's so many ways you can go from here. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unfortunately. What is everybody is currently the... working on now? Do you know what everybody's yeah, working well, tra- on now? Absolutely. Charlie Sexton is still playing in the Bob Dylan band. And he went back mm-hmm. and uh, he's. So he was out with Bob, and then he left for a while, and now he's he is back currently in the band again. 
Doyle Bramhall had a, gr- a really successful career also as a sideman. He was uh, he toured with Roger Waters for a while, but he was in Eric Clapton's band for uh, five or six years. P- played somewhat so with awesome. Cheryl Crow, and mm-hmm. uh, but now Doyle currently is he has actually um, put his own band back together and trying to make another go at it as a solo artist. And he's been he's been out on the uh, uh, Derek, uh, Susan Tedeschi, Derek Trucks uh, tour for the summer. Um, oh, great! Yeah, Chris Layton, the drummer, has been playing drums with Kenny Wayne Shepherd for quite a while now, and I think mm-hmm. they're getting ready to start the Van Halen tour this summer. Oh, yeah, and, that was that's that's amazing. They they just played in a they just played in L.A. and they were amazing. They were right. So that tour has started. Were, You're right. Absolutely what is the story of amazing. the T-Birds? Were they the group uh, singly, you know, like? Well, um, you know, over this now, it's hard to say that it's 30 years, so 25 years, 30 years. But Kim Wilson kept the band going. And um, Jimmy Vaughn left to, to pursue his, you know, his, uh, not his career, but his, uh, to, to fulfill his, I get his, I'm not sure what you'd call it, but to make the to make the album he's always wanted to make with his brother. So when that became a reality going into 1990, uh, Jimmy quit the Fabulous Thunderbirds. And I went along with Jimmy. In the meantime, at that point, Fran, Christina, the drummer, Preston Hubbard, the bass player, and Kim kept the T-Birds going. But but eventually, Preston fell away, Franny fell away, and Kim kept the band's name going. And he had a lot of different... Oh, incarnations of the band, different personnel coming and going. But recently, he's put together a band of more, of younger players, guys that were around Austin and looked up to the Thunderbirds as they were growing up. Wow. And now, this many years later, he's probably got one of the better bands representing the fabulous Thunderbirds that has been out on the road. But it's still hard for me to really convince myself it's the fabulous Thunderbirds without at least Jimmy Vaughn or, you know, or Fran or Preston. Uh, Because, you know, with the book, I've been telling stories, old T-Bird stories and listening to some of the music I haven't heard in so many years. And to be honest, I forgot how much of a impression the fabulous Thunderbirds made those four guys when they would get up on a stage and the energy that they possessed, and uh, the, the sh- they were magical shows that yeah. I don't think any band will ever be able to create that the sound that they had. You know, it was maybe not as commercial as a lot of bands, but they sure knew how to, you know, kind of tear up a crowd. Yeah, they had a great yeah, chemistry. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, chem- the chemistry yeah. was really there on the stage, I would say, when I saw them. You know what I mean? They always had this chemistry which is right. so dynamic, that very dynamic chemistry like you're talking about, you know? Right. That's so right. important when you go to see someone play that there's a lot going on on the stage. You yeah. know, I, I've, right. I've seen so many different people play, and they just don't interact with each other. You know, I wanted to ask you, I know you just said you got back from China, right? What were you doing in China? <laughs> oh, that's oh, I just took an incredible trip, nothing necessarily to do music-related, but my wife Oh, no, I want to hear about it. I'm going to hear yeah, about my, China. My, my wife is my wife is Chinese, and we went to visit uh-huh. her family, 
and I had one of the most incredible experiences. Now, I've traveled all over the world as a manager and a tour manager, and but there is nothing like China. China is still yeah, the most absolutely. unusual mm-hmm. and unique country that I have ever visited, and I love it over there. It's incredible mm-hmm. the culture and the society. Um, but we were many. A lot of people go there and they don't get out of the. They don't walk out of what I call the center ring or, you know, they don't wander too far because uh, most people who are there travel on some sort of tour and they're told don't wander too far. But um, the trip that we took, we traveled quite a bit over a couple of the um, provinces and I just got to see so many unusual and new things Um just it's such an interesting mixture of of culture from old and new. I mean, at one point you'll see them putting up a thirty or forty you know story skyscraper, and the people that are working on it have you know shovels and ho- and and you know like a, a hose, you know the it's just hand tools, um, and it's just it's just an it's an incredible experience, um, and I, I love the imagine. mixture of the old and new. So I went for three weeks and only spoke to one person in in English. (laughs) One of Uh uh, my wife's nieces, her classmates spoke some English. But uh, other than that, I didn't have another really conversation in English with anybody. And I only saw a handful of Westerners. Um, And some of the places that I went. Yeah, some of the places I went. Did you ever go on tour over there with anybody? Um. I didn't. I'm trying to open up the doors. I'm working with another band, an artist here in Austin, Malford Milligan, who was in Storyville, the singer. And I would, he's put together a new blues band. And it's the perfect type of music to bring over there. And I'm trying to connect and open the doors to figure out a way to bring a band like that over there on uh, more of a cultural type of tour. And uh, I was, I happened to be in Beijing when Dylan played and because Charlie Sexton is in the band and a lot of Bob's uh-huh. crew and band are all friends of mine. So I made it a point to stay around and I hung out a week with them in Beijing and went to the show. And I was really, really curious to see what kind of reaction they would get and how the Chinese would embrace it. And it was done really, really well. Um, they like Western music, but, they don't have a great knowledge of Western music. Um, I mean, the average person, uh, you might ask, and they don't know who the Beatles are. And you yeah. think, you've got to be kidding me, but it just not necessarily is part of their, right. you know, their culture. Um, but the, um, oh, the young people, you know, they want to hear the pop music. And, uh, you know, that's nothing, that's not my thing. I've never been connected to that. You know, if I have an opportunity, it's then I can bring the blues band over there. It's so different. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's completely different. Well, they tell, really tell have me. that culture going thing with the I music going on right now. I want to bring up something, Holly. Uh, Mark, you were mentioning on the phone about computers. Remember uh, you were saying that in order to get out of the country, you have to go <laughs> a certain way. Tell me tell that story. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Google and Facebook, those two particularly are not a block. So when you get over there and you try to use Google Search or Google Maps, you're not going to get it. Facebook, yeah. Twitter are the same thing. They don't. They have their own versions, but they're blocked. So the only way you can use them is uh, there's a there's a. And I'm not a great tech guy, but it's called a VPN app, 
and you can use the VPN app and kind of bypass it, and so you can access, you know, you can access yeah, they Facebook. Block content. Yeah, they block yeah. the content in so many different countries anymore. I yeah, right. I was talking to a friend of mine in England, and um, some of the stuff that is available over there is not available here. It's 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 right. really weird, and yeah. I don't understand how we can be being censored on certain things right now. Um, Pretty very, amazing very what they strange. can do. Yeah, blocking mm-hmm. with the servers and how, you know, you think the Internet is wide open, but it really isn't. And it has to mm-hmm. go through certain servers and they can do what they like. Now, I want to say one thing about China is while I was over there for three weeks, I did mm-hmm. not experience or see one single act of violence, of road rage, of anything like that. And people, you know, there's you know, this is not necessarily political talk, of course, People are very critical of the Chinese government and China, but I got to tell you, it's a very comfortable place to be. Never threatened on the subways in the cities. Oh. One, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, I got you. Got to wonder, well, why is that like that? You know, and it, it was very um, unusual. Well, not unusual is uh, to to do turn on CNN and and see, you know, the tragedies that were going on here, you know, to see nine people shot in a church, um, five military, you know. Oh, and over there they censor their TV stuff, too. They don't let them see everything. That's what's trippy. Well, they don't. Did you notice that? Yeah, a little Mm -hmm. bit, but they don't Mm -hmm. necessarily sit down and watch CNN every night anyway. They're, Mm. they're, I don't want to say a typical Chinese, but the average Chinese person is just dealing with what they have to do for that day and how to get through that day and that night. Um, And maybe, you know, maybe they should be a little bit more aware of um, the ecology. You know, I watched and saw, do they, you know, are they taking care of the ecology there and the the air and whatnot? Are they, um, you know, as far as trash goes and recycling, they're trying, but the but the you know but the per, the average person doesn't really get it. They they don't see the necessity. You know here, um, I mean even where I am in Austin, I mean we we're recycle crazy, um, and you know we, I think as a country itself we really think very hard about those types of things and. It's they're trying over there, but they haven't necessarily figured out a way. I think to reach the average person. Wow. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> I want to say again, but, real quick. This is a special edition of the Indie Cafe on Red Velvet Media. If you missed the beginning of the show, it will be available on iTunes afterwards, and also on demand on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. And on demand is a download under the Indie Cafe. And our chat room is open. I want to thank everyone that's been listening in the chat room. And I want to thank all our live listeners that are tuning in. And if you'd like to call in, we have a few more, a little bit longer that we're going to be on the air. Uh, 347-677-1036. I'm sorry, my voice is going in and out. We've got a fire really close here. So um, it's, uh, you know, the air is kind of like a little... A little smoky, but how is it um, going today, Holly? Out there with the fire, what's going on? It's 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 uh, they're containing most of it. Um, some of it is still uncontained, and it's kind of sad. It kind of makes me really sad to think about 
all the animals and all the people that are losing their homes and and all the livestock is really at risk right now because this area is very um you know very lush in its in its scenery as well as livestock and wild animals and and trees and stuff and it's, oh, it's taken quite a lot yeah, of this one. quite quite a lot of land out and and the ironic thing is i heard the fire started from a car accident that caught on fire and wow. i'm just like appalled it's just like oh wow you know that's terrible so it is one of the most beautiful parts car, of the country Oh my now we're up to like what um, seventy thousand or seven hundred thousand acres or something like that. Oh so my God. yeah, that's crazy. But you yeah. know, I wanted to say it's Friday um, for everyone around the world, and in some places it's already Saturday. And I wanted to say to everyone that's listening, I hope that you have a wonderful weekend and uh, don't drink and drive, and make it a really wonderful time. And Mark, I want to tell you that. We're happy you're here today because I know that um, you have so much to share with so many people and all these images are just so iconic, kind of like the things where you have to be there to have experienced it. Um, again, you are you have your website and you can purchase the book online. And um, are you on Facebook as well, Mark? I, I am. Facebook, it's Home, it's, it's, uh, home Today, Gone Tomorrow, the, okay. uh, the book. And uh, okay. this, this, and I'm very happy, and it's it's also it's a privilege to be here. I'm honored to be here and spend time oh, with you great. and with Spence. Um, my, you know, I think a lot of times I've been fortunate enough. I, I started in the music business, like I said, 40 years ago. I kind of uh-huh. carved my own path, and I made some decisions, and regretting none of them, and all of them very good. Now, the I'm not a name people don't recognize. But I have been fortunate enough to work with some of the most incredible talent. Well, I recognize your name, Mark. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're a good guy. I appreciate yeah, that. And you've I mean, you've done some really amazing stuff. I mean you're very you're very you're very um lucky to have oh, been I'm... able to be part of so many things and like you said when you met Eric Clapton, how that like really touched your your you know inner self and looking back that's that's a story in its own you know and I'd love to see a new another book from you with your other images and like Spence said you know maybe telling a little bit of background information on it and um, Spencer um, on the album covers that you worked on for the Fabulous Thunderbirds are they currently now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is there are they on well, display? Yeah, Do you know? The album, I don't know how the, I forgot, uh, Mark, where the album, the album cover, now, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame asked us, uh, actually called us up, which was, we had a dynamic year, you know, Joan Jett was in this year, Lou Reed, we designed for both, but they called us up a couple of weeks after, and they said they'd like to have our album covers included, because they knew of our name and who we were, and uh, tie in with rock and roll and punk or whatever, and then, um, they selected, I sent them a number of album covers and 45 sleeves that we did. They picked out a certain ones, and the Fab Thunderbirds were, are in that collection right now as we're talking. It's in the, it is in Yeah, the that's awesome. Terminal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think it's um, it's one of our favorite covers. But, uh, I, why it is is because we had a uh, great artwork on the front cover, and I always believe in concept. 
yeah. come up with some visual idea. But the, uh, Mark, you brought that transparency into me. I think, and that was an incredible piece of art. You know. Yeah, I mean, Danny Young, Danny Youngblood, right? Yeah, you Danny know. Youngblood. Yeah. Yeah, I just caught everybody with that piece. I wish I could recollect everything about it, but it was just so. It, it just jumped out that it, it had to be the cover. I mean, yeah. yourself, the band, myself. Nobody thought there was anything better. It was just so perfect for the way that whole album came and, out. And I felt moralistically, you know, I almost like was thinking to myself, I'm not going to do this. I, I, I'll tell you the truth. I felt like I wasn't going to do the cover. They're going to give me a band shot. You know what I mean? They're going to send me a right. band shot. Right. That's awesome. That's how I, and I said, you know, Holly, I said, moralistically, the artwork was so dynamic. I said, mm-hmm. they're not say no. And, and fortunately, they didn't, even though I told and, them what it was. And freaked them out totally by that one but you know moralistically probably of all the album covers that judith and i have done we've done a lot of great ones this one was one of the ones where we went into that thing with moralistically this is it i don't care what the hell they're going to say and you know it was just it it said it 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 said the art said what it was you know so that's the story with that and at the end of the day when it was held up and and a part of the things that stick in my mind are so sometimes crazy but it was just a fact when that out, it stood out at you when when Johnny Carson held that album cover up or right. Jay Leno. I mean that's that's you know that stuck at you. You you look at that album cover. That's amazing, Spencer. You know, you know and, and, and you know that's great. That's so great, Mark. If, if it just if it just had a bunch of if it just had some faces on it, it would have been another album cover. But it, when right, it was, exactly. you know when the reviews came out and and when it started to take on momentum. And it was being, you know, you know, just the reprint of that album cover in so many different magazines and and mm-hmm. newspapers. But it was just such a perfect choice. And if we had done what everybody would have expected us to do, well, we would have just had another album cover. But you know, with Spencer's design and that picture, it just it just was a well, one that, of a kind. Oh, thank that you. leads thank me you. into what I want to say about my co-host Spencer. A lot of people don't know and. Spencer, you don't really you talk about it a little bit, but you don't really talk about it as much as you should. Um, Spencer um, has his own site, and Spencer has designed a lot of amazing album covers along with Judith, and they have done some amazing work. And uh, the 545 album book cover um, is really amazing. And not only that, just some of the other stuff is so iconic, and you see it, and you know, and it's really trippy because I'm like looking at these things and I'm saying, oh my God, this is this is this is this is my partner Spencer's work, you know, oh, and you, it's Holly. just like so great, you know, That's to nice. be able to do that and be able to say they have that. A Facebook, and, yeah, I should tell them they have a, we have and a Facebook. know you, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're on Facebook. Page, you go to you go to Spencer Drate, D R A T E slash Judith Salavets S A L A V. Yeah. And that's our site on Facebook. Thank you. Yeah, and you can see some of those album covers. Yeah. That's so great, Mark. Um, how did you meet Spencer? How did you two meet? <laughs> I wish Spencer could. I was trying to remember. At the time, we were doing so much. Our, I was as a manager trying to put every part of that album for the Thunderbirds together. Now, uh-huh. I know we don't have enough time, but ultimately, we when when we finished Tough Enough, the album itself, I was turned down mm-hmm. by every label, Columbia, oh, wow. Capital, EMI. Wow. Nobody wanted that record. And it, and even even Epic Records at, at CBS at the time had turned it down. And um, I had a cassette of it. I had come back from London with the album. 
And there was an A&R, an individual A&R person that somebody introduced me to, uh, who was here in Austin, Patrick Clifford. And I yeah, still remember Patrick the, Clifford. and you probably know, you know, Patrick. And yeah. I played Patrick cassette and he flipped over it and he took <laughs> it back to New York and he told, he said, look, it, you got, you see, we were signed to a label that was going to be distributed by CBS Records, but they folded before it ever happened. While we were in the studio in London, which is why it's a crazy story, but again, that's maybe another day, another time. Um, but he said, you need to meet with an individual. You need to meet with Tony Martell, who runs Associated Records for CBS. And he put me in touch with Tony Martell. And I went up to New York. I would still remember the first day when I stood in front of BlackRock, the old CBS building, and my feet were shaking and my legs were shaking. And I went up to the, to the Epic Records floor to him. And Tony Martell and I became great friends. And he, came, he became one of my mentors. But he signed the band to... CBS Associated Records, but at the time we also finished the first video ourselves. We had complete, we had completed the the video for Tough Enough. The album was finished, mixed and mastered. And going back to your question, I I don't Spencer, do you know? Did I reach out to you? I, I know. Well, Danny you know Young's what? Like, I, all I remember is that, Holly. This is a funny story. All I remember is the door opening and Mark walking into my office. <laughs> You know, I don't know how you got to me. Maybe someone at C, maybe Pat might well, have heard. I did a lot of stuff for CBS, you know, right there. So maybe some. And they didn't. They didn't want any part of the record, really, because they didn't give us to their own art department. And I'm right. pretty sure maybe I reached out to you because when you we were probably done, did. We, yeah. We handed them the completed project because what yeah. happened was this is a funny story. Tony Martell went into the Epic Records, the the CBS. A&R meeting, and he got just destroyed for signing the Thunderbirds at first. But when, it, when it first came to light that he was going to sign a band that Epic had turned down, they wow. literally beat him over the head. Really? And, wow. you know, I don't want to say it cost him his job, but he got, he got beat up pretty bad. And, of course, six months later, they were all patting him on the head going, you're a genius because the record was <laughs> right. just had sold a million copies. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was people like you know. There, it was people like Spencer who did the album cover. There was a group of people that I have met in in actually in Toronto who helped me um, uh, help me um, create the video for Tough Enough. And the concept with the uh, I, I don't know that was a number on top ten video on MTV. But the concept was these construction workers and all and these girls in there. Very right. typical of what you'd think of the Thunderbirds were. But while before the band got signed um, to the record label, I was with Stevie Ray Vaughan in New York, and uh, there was a a music supervisor there who was looking for music for um, a Ron Howard movie, Gung Ho. And Stevie, the nice guy that he was, he loved his brother and the band, the T-Birds, said, you got to hear this album. And he played this individual, the tough, Tough Enough, and Tough Enough ended up in Gung Ho, the movie. Right, the and, oh, wow. A, and, and you, I don't know if you remember that movie, but it's all about I auto did. workers yeah. in, in, in this factory line. Well, everybody thought our video for Tough Enough, which had nothing to do with Gung Ho, was from the movie. <laughs> and it just, everything worked with that record. I mean, yeah. it just it aligned itself up so perfectly that when it started, the wheel started to turn, they just turned in such a big way, and it was a huge success. And we broke so many barriers. I mean, 
Stevie Ray had already started to break barriers playing blues on rock radio because in that earlier time, early 80s, there was no, there were no blues bands getting played on the radio. And, of course, the T-Birds followed in Stevie's footsteps, but we went even beyond that because we actually broke uh, strides at, at CHR, commercial radio. We had two top ten uh, singles at commercial radio and, like I said, two top ten videos at uh, MTV. And for a band that nobody thought would ever see the light of day and ever get played on any radio station, it was a pretty amazing accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, and it, yeah. it was such an off album that nobody thought would, but did. You know, it was like right. it was the, what a great, time. what a great story. Yeah. Oh, it, who wouldn't want to? Who wouldn't want to play that album? That's such a great album. That's <laughs> now I bet all I those people want are kicking themselves in the ass for not, you know. <laughs> oh, like the record saying, label, hey, yeah. All the guys, oh, yeah. all the labels that turned me down, all the A and R guys that said, "No, we love the T Birds. They're a great bar band, but you're never going to sell a single record." And, and I after, just, I wouldn't give up. And though. after, I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> after, what was their take on it? Yeah. So yeah, they were, you know, yeah. they were pretty uh, <laughs> not happy that they didn't they didn't grab the record. I bet. Um, and I won't say we gave it away, but we we believed in the album. We just had to find a distribution network. You know, we needed somebody to help mm-hmm. us with it. So we weren't in a great position to, to negotiate some superstar deal. We we negotiated the best deal we could, and uh, we wanted we wanted the label that believed in us. And there were a handful of people at at CBS at the time when they heard the record, really felt there was something there once it did get signed. And you know how it just takes. You know, there was a. There was a station here, picked it up. When there were rock radio stations, and there were 150-plus mm-hmm. true rock stations, and all of a sudden, you know, it's 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 a uh, a procedure that doesn't happen anymore, going to radio with a track or going to rock radio. But when it started to pick up momentum and, you know, 20, 25, 40 stations, 50 rock stations, started to know that we kind of had something, you know, very special on our hands, and we thought, wow, we might sell 100,000. 150, 200,000, you know, albums, and all of a sudden, you know, when it was gold, it was just, it was really hard to believe, to be honest, because we, you know, that was just beyond our expectations. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Now, you know, I mean, um, I want to ask you, Mark, what we can look for coming from you in the future now, besides me asking you what you're currently working on. What what can we expect to see from you soon? Can we can we maybe think you're going to come out with another book? Well, um, I'd like to continue to push and create some momentum on this book, and I'll hope that people will take a moment, go to home today, gone tomorrow dot net or the Facebook mm-hmm. page, take a look at mm-hmm. it. What I try to do is I try to keep the quality really really good and the price reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. didn't, I went with, uh, I independently published the book through my, you know, my own awesome. publishing company. And mm-hmm. in, in that regard, trying to, you know, trying to really put a good piece of product out there and, and make it something that people would really find interesting. And, uh, and they, so far they have, I mean, I've got nothing but great uh, reviews and comments about it and I hope more people will discover it. Uh, in the meantime, if that does well enough, then I would maybe look for a better, a, a different way 
to put together a second book with more text, more stories. And because what I'm finding out is people are going, you got some great stories. You got to tell them. And they're not bad. They're not, you know, I, I know where the bones are buried because I buried most of them. But there's no need to tell those stories, you know. Um, but there's some great, interesting stories that go along with all of those 40 years. And I think um, Austin music is is an interesting story here. I mean, people know Austin. We were I was here working in the business before it was on the map, and South by Southwest came along and, you know, just kept on gaining, gaining momentum. The Austin City Limits Festival was started and it's brought, you know, hundreds of thousands of people here. And Austin's going through some crazy changes right now that we're unfortunately losing a lot of the, uh, the support for the musicians. And it's, it's not a good story, but it's happening and there's a lot of discussion going on here. But I'd like to think that the book and my pictures represent a very big part of Austin's musical history. And if you live here in Austin, you'd find it interesting. If you like the bands like Willie Nelson or Delbert McClinton, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jimmy Vaughan, um, there's so many different musicians in that book and not posed, but pictures of them in their everyday um, things that they do. And, and what about Antones? Uh, and what about Antones? Well, Antones has another terrible story. You know, they closed and they're oh. trying to get opened up again. And they will open up maybe before the year's end, maybe not till next year. But everybody's got their fingers crossed um, that when it does open, that the city will support it. And I say the city, the people here, our, our the, 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 the top of people that have moved to Austin. And if you don't know it, Austin has become one of the biggest, fastest growing cities in the country. And it's, oh, attracted, yeah. a lot of, it's attracted a lot of people that aren't all music friendly. Um, I, I used a, a, a kind of a saying or a, um, a line when, in the book, and when I got here, it was musicians, students, and politicians, which were the only three. It was the capital, so the politicians were here. The University of Texas was here, and the musicians all were here in the 70s and the 80s. But the tech boom and, you know, just Texas and Austin started to attract people. And it's grown beyond its beyond its uh, boundaries. Traffic is terrible. All of the you know all of the bad things that growth can bring have come to Austin. And along that, a lot of people that don't really care about music and care about the history or um, you know what has taken place here. And hopefully um, that won't go away. I mean, the jury's still out. I don't know what's going to happen, but. Um, I'm going to continue to try to make people aware of some, you know, what is good about Austin, uh, along with the possibility of doing a book. One of the artists that I work with was a, or one of the bands was a band called Storyville and Storyville uh -huh. was, had two records on Atlantic and, uh, they ended up breaking up. But the singer who was an amazing singer, Malford Milligan, Malford was the vocalist of the year again in the, uh, Austin Chronicle music awards. And we have been, he's just an amazing person, incredible front man. And he's put together a blues band. They're called Big Cat. And I'm going to manage the band and try to bring some good music back to people. I think there's a demand for music and not enough good music that, that is out there. You know, so hopefully it'll make a difference. Great. Oh, that's great. 
Well, we want to both thank you so much for being here today. And um, I know, Spence, do you have anything more that you wanted to cover? Um, I think no, on, no. It's fine. Great show. Great show. I'm glad Mark yeah, is on. Yeah, no. And we love you. We love you, Mark. Oh, it's yeah, so wonderful. Yeah, and we are ending. Yeah, no. Show. And we're going to end the show with a song called "A Long Way from Home." Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that song? Yeah, that was well from Family Style, and mm-hmm. um, it's uh, one of Steve Ray Vaughan's compositions that uh, he brought to the album, and one of my favorites on the album. Um, again, when uh, you know, in 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 uh, 1990 was for my life. 1990 is that oh, that everything is based on that year because August of 1990, of course, is when Stevie passed. When when the hell, it's hard to say, but when Stevie passed away, but, um, and, and I define everything from that year, everything either before or after there, but the opportunity and the ability to get the two brothers into the studio and get that record done. And, you know, you just never know what's going to happen and what, what life, what is, what life is going to bring you. And, uh, you know, it, at the end of the day, that album stands on its own. And um, again, that's one of my favorite songs for, from the album. And uh, it's just, uh, Stevie brought up, the, the one thing about Family Style is uh, when the two brothers came together, it was a stylistic album, Nile Rogers, which no one would have necessarily thought should produce, but I thought it was a great idea. And I called Nile and got him together with Jimmy and Stevie. And mm-hmm. it turned out to be they, they they loved it. That album is just a just a great album, and it stands on its own. And uh, well, we're going to end with that amazing song, "Long Way from Home." And I want to um, again wish everyone a beautiful weekend. And uh, again, don't drink and drive, and have a really good Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Make it the best and. Spence, what are you going to do this weekend? I'm just going to cool out and Chill. cruise Central Park <laughs> and maybe see, maybe go to a museum, you know, Holly? Maybe really do Yeah. Place, you know. What just, about you, just, Mark? What are you going to yeah, do? Well, I'm back in the 100-degree yeah, <laughs> weather. Texas is burning <laughs> up right now. But I'm uh, still upside down. Uh, there is a 12-hour time difference. I and know. I, I, I just got home a couple of days ago. So my body hasn't completely acclimated. For me right now, well, it's uh, about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> then you need to chill out, have some food, go to bed early, and just try to get through the weekend. And hopefully by Monday you'll be back on your uh, time zone, right? Yeah. I'm going to enjoy myself. Very, quiet, very nice, quiet weekend, I think. Yeah. So. That sounds really nice. Well, for everyone out there listening, again, this has been Mark Proct and uh, a special edition um, on the Indi- of, on Red Velvet Media with the Indie Cafe. And again, if you missed the beginning of the show, the show will be a featured show on Red Velvet Media under the Indie Cafe and also on demand um, as a podcast if you'd like to listen to it. And again, I want to thank everyone that's listening live and also the people that are in the chat room. And with that, we're going to end our show with uh, Long Way Home. So thank you so much, guys, for calling in. And, uh, hey, thanks talk a lot, to you. Holly. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, Everybody Thank you, both. Thank you it's so been a much, pleasure. Mark. Cool. Here you guys go. Have a... There you go.